Hello everyone and welcome to Golden Walkman Magazine. My name is David Walker bringing you the issue for May 2020 uh, and it is a mix of non-fiction and fiction so I'm just going to call this uh, prose. Um, so we have two great pieces for you. Um, one is by E.V. Weiler. It is the non-fiction piece, the fiction, uh, the, the piece that you're going to hear first. Uh, and then we're going to move on to uh, Christopher Lewis Jorge, uh, who has the fiction piece, which you'll hear second, which will end off the issue for us. Um, uh, I just wanted to, I guess, say about the, the, the pieces here that I think the voices in both of them are what drew me the most. Um, which, which is what why I accepted them was I was drawn to the the voices in them and um, I, I do think that the authors as usual uh, do a great job of bringing their own work to life um, and it's why I love uh, the format that we have here because uh, you'll hear exactly in their voices uh, how they wanted it presented so let's get to it um, the issue for May tw uh, 2020 uh, pros. Hope you enjoy it. Hello, this is Evie Weiler, and thank you for listening to my personal essay, Deference. Mom's Stories Already told, many times over multiple decades, she begins repeating, her voice signaling its entrance onto a familiar acceleration ramp. Rejecting my impulse to exclaim, you've told me this, I press speakerphone and pour another cup of tea as Mom's storyline merges onto an expressway bound for the 1950s. Words tailgate thoughts towards long-ago memories of high school days. Dorothy had been giving me dance lessons in their stockroom, Mom explains, referring to the afternoon she helped her friend assist Dorothy's parents with their store. Stacked boxes muffled an old Westinghouse, playing Elvis, Chuck Berry, and that Richie, her narration slows, Oh, Dorothy loved him so. Valens, I offer. Yes, that's him, Mom confirms, her voice back on cruise control. His intro to La Bamba inspired Dorothy to pioneer air guitar. And one time, mid-performance, her dad darted into the stockroom. She quickly dropped her hands, fetched the style and size he'd requested, and then... Feeling embarrassed, had me bring the shoes out to the customer. Mom's storyline exits onto a clover leaf, connecting with her next memory. Since Dorothy's family lived in one of the apartments above their store, sometimes if business was slow, they'd let us go upstairs to watch American Bandstand, a show featuring teen couples dancing to the hits of our day. Have I told you that Dorothy aspired to... Yeah, I cut Mom off. She dreamed of dancing on bandstand. Dorothy kept making audition plans, but never followed through. Sometimes, Mom defends her friend. Responsibilities preempt dreams. 
Dorothy couldn't ditch her parents. They needed her help with the store. But at school sock hops, she and Paul pretended they were on bandstand. That made her happy. Mom hesitates as if she's approaching a fork and deciding which direction to choose. Whenever Dorothy and her brother argued over the TV, depending on how important it was to her, she had a special way of resolving it. She bribed him with cookies, I exclaim, impatiently attempting to block the story's progression. Mom navigates around my comments as I check my watch. Dorothy baked oatmeal raisin, Michael's favorite. So we'd have the silver tone when Richie Valens appeared on Bandstand. Let's see. That was right before New Year's, 1958. And then, oh, and then, Mom briefly pauses, as if unhappy with the route she's chosen. Only five weeks later, it happens in Iowa, shortly after midnight. His plane went down over a cornfield. Of course, I interject, forcing Mom to yield the right of way. That's the story behind the movie La Bamba, and also the lyrics, The Day the Music Died. The song's actual title was, um, American Pie, I call out, snapping my fingers to punctuate the recollection. The song came first in the early 70s, Mom clarifies, and the movie was released later, almost four decades after the plane crash. But Dorothy and I remember the accident as breaking news. Radio stations suddenly played continuous tributes to Richie Valens, Buddy Holly, and the Big Bopper. Come On, Let's Go was playing when I walked into Dorothy's living room, which she was turning into a shrine. I sat beside her, holding her hands while she sobbed. As soon as Richie Valens' voice started crooning Donna, Dorothy whimpered that she'd never fall in love again. <sighs> Mom sighs. If only I had a crystal ball. I, I would have told my dear Dorothy that five years later she'd wear her mother's wedding dress and that in the 49 years she and Doug were married, they'd have five children, four dogs, and 12 grandchildren. Although it's been over 40 years since Mom's seen her high school friend, she and Dorothy have stayed in contact, keeping each other current through annual letters tucked inside holiday greetings. Suddenly, Mom's narration exits onto an unexpected bridge. Did I mention, last December, I didn't get her card? No pause indicates it was a rhetorical question. I was worried, praying... Dorothy and her family are well, hoping. Perhaps she was just very busy, maybe with a new grandchild. But her belated card never came. And then, in this morning's mail, I received a letter from Dorothy's daughter. Amongst her mother's things, she found an old address book with my listing inside and wrote that her mom often spoke of me fondly. I rest my cup on its coaster and close my eyes, dreading what's about to be said. The letter continues. Mom briefly hesitates. 
Carolyn wrote that last spring her mother became sick and that she fought so hard to get better. But that damn cancer, it kept spreading. They brought Dorothy home for Thanksgiving, and then, only two weeks later, that's where she died. Mom's voice cracks. At home. During the ensuing silence, a telepathic link, in which I see Mom's head slowly shake in disbelief, prompts an epiphany. On Mom's journey through her meandering memories, my role wasn't to glean any new information, but merely to accompany her by listening. Sometimes a listener provides the speaker with an opportunity to re-experience selected excerpts from one's oral memoirs. Somewhere, deep inside these chapters, characters who never age still reside within the time capsules unearthed through their keeper's thoughts. Lizzie? Lizzie, are you still there? Yeah. I glance at the handset and pick it up, taking her off speakerphone. I'm here, Mom. Good. It suddenly got quiet. I'm sorry about Dorothy. Mentioning her deceased friend's name tripped more recollections of Mom's favorite high school stories. Mom, could you tell me about that Saturday evening you and Dorothy snuck into the... Yes, yes, but later. I have a doctor's appointment in two hours. Okay, call me afterwards. I will. Bye, Lizzie. Bye, Mom. I reach for my cup. It's empty. I rest the phone back on its cradle and place the empty cup into the crowded sink. The dishwasher's clean contents need to be put away. Ditto for the dryer. There's wet laundry, a waiting transfer to the dryer, and errands to run. Yet suddenly, this list of chores feels less urgent. In the time management conflict between the quantity of tasks to perform and the quality of well-being to nourish, hindsight favors the latter. In deference to my mother, I resolve that as long as reminiscing unlocks portals to worlds still cherished, I'll listen to someone retracing the footsteps they've imprinted upon Memory Lane's panoramic path. Hello, this is Evie Weiler again, and let's talk about deference. As you've probably guessed, my mom talks a lot. She's an octogenarian with some health problems now, and I'm very blessed to still have her. When mom repeats her stories, it's tempting to say, you've told me this. And then one day, that's exactly what happened to me. As I was about to begin recounting some long-ago memory, my daughter asserted, You've told me this! What's surprising wasn't my repetitiveness, but the disappointment I felt at not being able to proceed with my story. I wanted to tell it, and I wanted Emily to listen. Right there, I had become my mom, and Emily had become I. And in this circular rotation where history timelessly repeats, I understood the importance of listeners. I wrote deference to highlight 
that sometimes the listener's role isn't to hear something for the first time, but to permit speakers to relive something one more time. The empathy our parents instill in us will, if we've done our jobs well, manifest itself in our children. I hope that one day, when Emily's daughter tells her, You've told me this! Emily will feel the same deference towards me repeating my stories that I feel for my mom repeating hers. Hi, I'm Christopher Lewis Jorge. This is Male Pattern Baldness, a short story. It's the end of my day and the only thing between me and my bed is a short date with Hulu, which is non-optional on account of how fucking stressful it is to plan a funeral. So I start up on season 4 of Letterkenny, a spot-on recommendation from Hulu if I've ever seen one, and I settled in to decompress a little bit. The first ad was an ad for insurance that I'd seen before, but the second ad was an ad for male pattern baldness that I hadn't. Normally, I'd just ignore the ad, but earlier, while I was browsing Reddit at dinner, I saw a balding man asking for advice on a male grooming page I follow, and now I'm a little uncomfortable that Hulu was big-brothering me while I typed, Just Shave It Bro, and then deleted, Just Shave It Bro, after realizing that I don't actually know the politics of male pattern baldness. And the last thing I need right now is to be caught up on the wrong side of the balding positivity movement, if there even is such a thing. But that's a pretty quick turnaround for a targeted ad, don't you think? Considering I'd only skimmed the post about an hour ago, and I'm not all that sure what the workflow is like for targeted ads. Maybe that's a realistic time frame, maybe it isn't, but maybe they're getting their information from a different source. But I'm usually pretty good about that kind of thing. I am cognito to all the funeral arrangements. But I did Google search zinc supplements the other day, and creatine side effects about a month and a half ago, which included balding according to one page, though not according to another. And I once saw a headline about a woman who found out she was pregnant because Google's algorithm successfully anticipated her pregnancy based upon her search history and nothing else. And though I think the zinc is for sleep loss, maybe it's for hair loss and I just don't know it yet. But Letterkenny was quality as usual, not too high energy as to get me riled up before bed, which is good. And I browsed balding positivity for longer than I should have, which is not good. But I do learn there is a conversation around rebranding baldness, which is good, I think. But I should at least watch my step until I see where this goes. And I have a blue light filter on my phone, so I'm not sure if this counts as using my phone an hour before bedtime. But it probably does. Then at breakfast, I'm browsing Reddit again and eating a waffle when who do I see but the balding guy from the day before, posting an update. He's shaved. And I think, damn, he looks clean. But instead I post, looking good bro, instead, which I think is probably an okay thing to say just in case my children ever ask me, where were you during the balding, shaming days? But it isn't just lift service. He does look good. So good that I wonder if I should just shave my own head. I'm not necessarily balding, but I might be soon. But probably not since his dad wasn't balding, though my mama's brother started balding at 31, which gives me a year if that kind of thing comes from her half of the chromosomes. If I shave and I'm not balding, I can always play it off like I just needed to change while seeming whimsical and fun. Plus, I can always grow it back out. If I shave and it turns out that I really am balding, then I can say, leave the masking for more, not less, when asked about why I shaved so early, while looking savvy and quick-witted, even though I lifted that line from an HBO show I streamed a few weeks ago. A few years ago, I started to get stuck in these thought loops that made my life kind of hard to manage. 
It wasn't insurmountable, but it required me to pay more attention to my mind and the never-ending thoughts that just streamed by. The more aware I became of those sort of thoughts, though, the more I began to wonder about the thoughts that other people had and the shapes that they took. This was true for real people, people in my life, but also true for fictional characters. So this story began with that project. What would it look like if I were to render an anxious internal monologue as a short story? Or what would it look like if a person under extreme stress had all their thoughts organized into a beginning, a middle, and an end? I tried it a few different ways, but I found that these tend to work best when the central anxiety is something small. You take that and add a tablespoon of not unwarranted technophobia, and you get this. Bell pattern baldness. <laughs>